Jesus performs his first miracle by turning water into wine. Now this event occurred in a town called Cana of Galilee, which in the Hebrew literally means place of the reeds. The problem is, we're not exactly sure where this was. Now, we do know that it was in Galilee, so well, that narrows it down. But the traditional site is a town today called Kepherkenna, which is about five miles northeast of Nazareth and west of the Sea of Galilee. Now, a source of spring water rises west of the village, and pomegranates are greatly prized here in Kefirkenna. Now, in the 17th century, the Pope officially recognized this as the site of Cana of Galilee. In fact, 200,000 people visit there every year, and there's a church built over a house that, well, might have actually been where Jesus did turn the water into wine. Now, some other scholars believe that it was a town called Kithbat Kwana, which is a little bit for, further north. Now, afterwards, Jesus went down to Capernaum, meaning that he descended in elevation. So we can gather that Cana was definitely in the hills west of the Sea of Galilee. Now, either way, Jesus chose to perform his first miracle in Cana. Now, his mother also worried about running out, which means that she was probably involved in the preparation and the planning of the wedding. Now, weddings were several day long feasts, so it's possible that this was a family member who was related to Jesus. So there you go, a little bit about Cana of Galilee, and that's enough today for our historical minute. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, open up our hearts and our minds to hear your word and to understand more about who you are. Because as we understand more about who you are, we understand more about who you are, Father God in heaven. So help us to see from these words who you are in deeper ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before I get started, a couple things. As I mentioned, it's you know, Veterans Day weekend, and I saw, you know, I mentioned this morning, I saw an amazing movie on Friday called Midway. And it's in the theaters, and just an amazing, you know, portrayal of what happened as far as that major battle in the, um, the Pacific, and a battle that really turned the whole tide of the war, and just kind of building up a lot of the characters and the different generals and people involved um, in that battle, admirals, and it just, it's incredible. And as I'm watching this movie, I'm just... I'm getting all teary-eyed. I'm just realizing that these guys, a lot of them, they gave their lives. So much sacrifice for our country. And I want to encourage us, you know, especially in our younger generations that have had, you know, so much peace that, you know, when it comes right down to it, we have this peace because of sacrifice. And that freedom is never free. And for us to never forget to honor those who have served and are serving our country. And I have a confession to make. The last time that I did this, um, you know, teaching was in Leviticus. And I wasn't that excited about doing it, but once I went through the, the last two times I did it, I fell in love with it because it really ties into what's happening in John. Because, you know, God says to Moses his name. And what's God's name? I am, okay? I am who I am. Is that pretty descriptive? Not really at that point. See, God kind of unfolds who he is over time. And we're going to see today in chapter 1 of John that Jesus lays out who he is. And if you understand who Jesus is, you understand who who is. God the Father. And John, in his letter, lays out so clearly who Jesus is 
and who God the Father is. And I so want us to really think about that as we go through this. And even, you know, go back to Leviticus, we're talking about all the different, you know, um, holy days that the Hebrew people had. And the fulfillment of every single one of them is who? Jesus. Or even in the, the holy place where the priests were only allowed to go. They had the showbread. They had a light that burned all the time. They had a candelabra symbolic of the tree of life. Who's the fulfillment of all those things? Jesus is. And we're going to see this throughout John. So kind of keep your ears and your eyes open to those things. And, you know, last week, um, Pastor Mike laid out the introduction to John. And we talked about, you know, first of all, that Jesus is the Word, okay? He's the Word. And the Word is God. That Jesus cannot be separated from the Word of God. He cannot be separated from God. And in Jesus, we have the Word that became flesh, full of grace and truth. Today, we're picking up on verse 19 in chapter 1. Verse 19. And this is a testimony of John. Okay, now I'll make something clear here. Which John? Because we had John as a writer. Okay, we're going to talk now about John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Now understand something here. For 400 years, there had not been a prophet in Israel. Okay? Time of just quiet when it comes to the prophets. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist comes on the scene. And what was he like? He was a wild man. He was doing all kinds of different types of things. And so the religious leaders are kind of wondering, who is this guy? And so they send some of their spies, so to speak, some of the priests and, and the Levites to go and to find out who this John is. And so we're going to ask him some questions. Who are you? Now, if somebody just walked up to you and said, who are you? What are you going to say? If I walked down to one of you right now and said, who are you? What would you tell me? You ever stop and think about that? In fact, even the sermon this morning was about what is our identity? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Okay? So he right away, he lays it out. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. I am not. Now, why are they asking him if he's Elijah? Now, the last book in the Bible is what book? What's the name of the book? Malachi, okay? Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, the second to last verse in the Old Testament says that Elijah is going to return before that day, before the coming of the Messiah or someone in the spirit of Elijah. It's also interesting, too, the very last verse of the Old Testament, verse 6, says he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers, laying out the importance of fathers and the spiritual development of their children. In fact, even in the you know, Luther small catechism, he addresses the small catechism to who? Fathers. For fathers to teach their children in your household. And so many times in this day and age, a lot of fathers have let that go. But we see again that, you know, someone like Elijah is going to come, but he says, again, he's not. He says, I am not. And by the way, he says, I am not. Okay? It's a little bit of, you know, play in words there. Are you the prophet? Not a prophet. Are you the prophet? Now, who is the prophet? You see, these guys know their Old Testament. 
And this goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 and following. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. This is Moses speaking. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired for the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly. This is talking about a prophet who's going to come that's greater than Moses. And so they believed a great prophet is going to come. How does John respond? No, <laughs> I'm not. And they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as a prophet Isaiah said. Now really, Jesus is going to refer to John as one who came in the spirit of Elijah. But yet, he is completely humble. He's saying, you know what? I pretty much, I'm just nothing. I'm just a voice. I'm just small. But the one I'm pointing to is huge. He is great. We're going to see in, in chapter 3, he's going to make a statement, I must become less, he must become greater. I really wonder if he might be the most, one of the most humble people in history. See, he was a rock star. People were flocking out to him. He was getting a lot of attention. But from this point on, guess what's going to happen? He's going to go in the background. He's fine with that. He says, my whole thing here is I'm just paving the pathway to Jesus. I want to point people to Jesus. Does that sound like a good identity for any one of us here? That's what we're called to do, to be like John the Baptist, to point people to Jesus. In fact, back then, you know, their, their roads were pretty messed up, you know, just kind of dirt and mud. And so whenever an emperor would be going down these highways, they'd have a whole crew of people going ahead and just making sure all the potholes are taken care of, making sure he goes on a nice level path. And that's what John the Baptist is saying. The king is coming. And I'm preparing the pathway for him. In verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And so the next question, okay, why are you baptizing? Since you're not, you know, by the way, um, John the Baptist is from what line, what lineage, what tribe? He's a Levite, okay? And so he really, in that respect, he's, he's like a priest, okay? And priests are allowed to do baptisms, but the thing was back then, the ones who were baptized were the Gentiles who were being converted into the Jewish faith, in the Hebrew faith. And so these guys are a bit upset because John the Baptist is baptizing who? Jewish people. Okay, that's just unusual. Like, the, why are you doing this? Because the bottom line is, you know, they're already been baptized into the faith. They're part of our Jewish community already. John is changing up everything on them. Do people like change? No. Things are changing dramatically from the Old Testament into the New Testament. This is a transitional point right here. And John's saying, you know what? Things are going to be a bit different with Jesus coming here. Okay? 
There's going to be some things aren't going to be the same way as it was in the past as far as how church, so to speak, is going to be done. And really, this very church is now, you know, asking all these questions, John the Baptist, but the very church is going to turn against Jesus and ultimately kill him. Let's go on the next section. Behold the Lamb of God. Verse 29. The next day they saw Jesus. Okay, the next day. So we've got a sequence of days here. They saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Heard that phrase before? Even songs and liturgy. John, again, he's a priest. He's seen sacrifice. In fact, you know, the temple, a lamb was sacrificed every morning, every evening, every single day. And he's saying, you know what? This one who's coming here, he's a fulfillment of all the sacrifices. He's a true lamb of God. He's a one who truly can take away your sins. He's the one who fulfills all the sacrifices. And so we're seeing again here, who is Jesus? He's the Lamb of God who came to take away our sin. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Stop for a moment here. Who was born first, John the Baptist or Jesus? John the Baptist. He was three months older than Jesus, but John the Baptist is saying, hey, Jesus is older than me. What does that mean? Because he's before, okay? He's the Alpha and the Omega. He existed before. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. Now let's get something straight here. Is John's baptism the same as the baptism Jesus brings? No. It isn't. Okay, it's a baptism of repentance for confession, to prepare people's hearts. And some people get this confused, especially those who um, have the believer baptism type of belief system that say there's certain things you got to do before you're baptized. Okay, if they follow John's baptism, I can see where maybe they're coming from. But the baptism Jesus brings is for everybody, for all ages. Go on. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. It remained on him. Now, He's going back to the other Gospels. And as Pastor Mike mentioned last week, he's assuming that people have pretty much read the first three Gospels. He's kind of adding a few more things. And so John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus, but the Spirit comes and, and enlightens on him like a dove. And it says it remained on him. And the word there indicates it stayed completely, okay? Now, let's think about our lives. If we believe in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit that helps us believe. Are we living in the Holy Spirit all the time, folks? Let's be honest. Are we all the time? We're kind of getting in and out, right? Sometimes we feel God's Spirit powerfully. Sometimes we're in sin. If we're in sin, we're not in the Spirit. Now, what made Jesus different here is he had the Spirit without limit, okay? The Spirit completely came upon him. You can't separate the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I love the analogy that Martin Luther gives about the Trinity. And it's really hard for us to humanly comprehend the Trinity, how God is one, but he's three persons. But he says, God is a speaker. Jesus is the Word. And the Holy Spirit brings the Word to us. 
And I think that's something that we have to really be careful of. And I see it so often in our Lutheran, you know, background. We talk a lot about the Father. We talk a lot about the Son. But sometimes we seem to shy away from the Holy Spirit. Why do you think that is? I have a theory on that. A number of years ago, there was, you know, the charismatic movement, okay? And a lot of Lutherans got really freaked out about the charismatic movement. And they felt it was just too much about the Holy Spirit and, and people just doing, doing different types of things. And I think that some people in the Lutheran church went too far away from talking about the Holy Spirit. But really, the Holy Spirit is a connection to us. The Holy Spirit is God working inside of us. And we should desire to be more like Jesus, to have that spirit controlling us in, in us all the time. In fact, it says in John, we're going to see it in John chapter 3 as well, that he gives the spirit without limit. Okay? The spirit is completely in him. Now moving on. Find my place here. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so right there we see delineation. Jesus baptizes with what? The Holy Spirit. We're baptized into the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And think about that for a moment. Is name singular or plural? Singular. Okay, the name is singular, but there's three names tied to the singular name. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. And so we're baptized, not just in the name of the Father and the Son, but also the Holy Spirit. And it goes on, and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Okay, another name for Jesus, he's called the Son of God. And we'll see a little bit later, he's going to be called the Son of Man. I'll get back to that in a little bit. Let's go on to verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Whose disciples were these? John the Baptist's disciples. Okay? So his inner core, so to speak, is they're leaving. Now, is John the Baptist going to complain about this? No. His whole purpose was to point people to who? Jesus, including his own disciples. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And so they're leaving John, this guy that they've been following for a long time. They're all of a sudden following Jesus and Jesus breaks the ice. What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, they can ask him anything, so to speak. They're asking, where are you staying? Why would they be asking that question? And the answer is because they want to spend a lot of time with him, okay? They don't just want to talk to him on the streets. They want to go someplace where they can sit down with him and really get to know what he's all about. He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour, about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Okay, now do you know much about Andrew? Do you know a lot about Peter? Okay, now Andrew comes to Jesus first. And even here, John refers to Andrew as Simon Peter's brother. 
He's never, he's always in the shadow of his other brother, okay? And we really don't see Andrew speaking much. We don't see a lot of involvement with him as far as, you know, being talked about in the scriptures, except for every time we see Andrew being referred to, he's always bringing somebody to Jesus. He brings Peter, his brother, to Jesus. You know, when the feeding of the 5,000, he finds this boy that has some few loaves and a few fish. He brings him to Jesus. Later on, John, we're going to see, he finds some Stoic philosophers. He brings them to Jesus. The guy's a hero because he's being like John the Baptist. He's bringing people to Jesus, even though he's in the shadow of his brother. Anybody grow up in a family like that where you got a, another sibling gets all the attention, you're kind of in the background? I think Andrew's like an unsung hero. He seems fine in his position. And so he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. Okay, so again, we're seeing all these, you should be circling all these different words in your Bible, laying out of Jesus. He's a Messiah, Savior, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. It also means what? Rock. Now he becomes part of the inner core, not Andrew. Peter, James, and John are part of that inner core. Let's go on to the next section. Jesus calls Philip and Nathanael. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. So notice each day sequence here. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. I want to stop for a moment here. Now, two of, of John the Baptist's disciples followed Jesus. One is Andrew. What's the name of the other one? Is it said in there? Does it say it in there at all? No. Who do you think that person might be? Yeah, that's what I think. John, okay? Because John never refers to himself really by name, okay? He refers to himself typically as the one who Jesus loves, okay? Because John felt that Jesus loved him more than anybody else, the bottom line is we can all feel that way because we're all Jesus' favorites. So I think it was John. It says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Okay, another reference to Jesus. Okay, that the one who Moses wrote about. This is Jesus. Now, as you witness to, you know, Jewish people in the world today that don't believe in the, the Messiah has come, some believe in the first five books of the Bible, okay? Some believe in the entire Bible. Now, for those who only believe in the first five books of the Bible, there's plenty of evidence of Jesus, even referred to here, because Moses and the law point to this Messiah. He's also called Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so he's laying out the whole thing here. He's human. He's got an earthly father. He's the son of Joseph. Actually, he's really not, he's the stepson of Joseph, really, okay? But that's just how they refer to him because Joseph was his stepfather. He's really the son of who? Of God, but already he's been called son of God. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I'll be a little turf war there. Philip said to him, come and see. I, I love this. You see this, this time, to come and see. When you witness to people, how she, what's the best way to witness? I believe so often the best way to witness is come and see. And the one that they should really see and watch is you. That so often we have the opportunity to show who Jesus is by how we live. Okay? Actions speak so much louder than words. 
especially in this day and age. And really the best testimony that we have in our lives is our own personal testimony, how God has worked in our life. And so often it's the best thing to share when it comes to sharing our faith. Let me show you. Show, let's show people Jesus and how we live. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. He's saying some nice things about Nathanael here. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Whoa. Nathanael said, wait a second. He's near, he said, how do you see me? I was somewhere else. He could see me. Here we're learning that Jesus can what? Only see what's in front of him? He can see even everything as he's walking in human form because he's still who? God. And God can do what? Anything. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are, another name for Jesus, the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So we're seeing these snippets of Jesus' interaction with these early disciples. And before I talk about the Son of God, Son of Man, who is Nathaniel? Because when you look at the list of disciples in the first three Gospels, his name's not there. Who is this mystery man? Well, actually, a lot of people back then had how many names? Sometimes a couple names, okay? So some people believe um, that he was Matthew, because the name Matthew ties into um, Nathaniel. Some think it's Bartholomew, okay? And even if it's not one of them, here's something else for you. Not all of the people who became disciples were part of the 12. Because in Luke, there's a large group, and he comes down and chooses how many? 12. In fact, there might have been 84, because there's 72 who go to all the towns and villages. So even if he's not um, Bartholomew or Matthew, he could have been one of those 72. So that kind of answers, hopefully, that question, in case there's, there's mystery there. And I never realized that until I researched this. His name is not in that original group of 12 names. But now the difference between Son of God and Son of Man. You know, Jesus is 100% what? God and 100% man, okay? He's got a human lineage, but he's from God. In fact, you see through the whole Old Testament, all these genealogies starting in Genesis, going all the way through the entire Bible and going right up to Jesus. They carefully traced his genealogy. He's got a human ancestry, and so son of man refers to him that he's also a Man, son of God, he's also the son of God. Both titles, though, are very powerful and ascribed only to someone of Jesus' stature, ultimately. Someone that has done what he has done and is who he is. And so, to bring this section together, I'm going to kind of you know, leave chapter 2 for, for Pastor Mike to pick up um, next week. Just to go back over this chapter quickly and, and hear some of the names by which Jesus is called what we learn about him. He is the Word. And the Word was God. He was involved in the creation of all things. He was a light of men. The Word that became flesh, full of grace and truth. 
He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the Son of God. He's Rabbi, which is an honorable name for teacher. He's Messiah. He's the one that Moses talked about in the law. He's Jesus of Nazareth. He's the son of Joseph. He's the king of Israel. He's the son of man. And so now this picture is gradually unfolding. And as we go through John, just watch how this picture is going to open up more and more. If you want to know what God the Father is like, learn about who? Jesus. He unfolds who God is. And the more you see this, the more you realize he is pure love. And we see too, like Philip, like Andrew, like John the Baptist, one of the best ways for us to honor this amazing God is to direct people to Jesus, to lead people to Jesus like they did. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for unveiling who you are over time. And now we're living in a day and age where through your word, we see so much. And so many people have a misperception about who you are, but your word lays it all out. And we pray that as we work through John, we're going to see you in a deeper way and realize even more amazingly how incredible you are, that we worship you for who you are. Even with all the things you're going to reveal to us, there's still a lot of mystery about you. And we realize that, like John, that we are just a voice. Help us to be a voice. It's not about us. It's not about our pride. It's not about our ego. No. What matters is you. You are everything. And we pray in our lives that we humbly grow in our service to you and others and realizing that we are called to be voices in this wilderness in which we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make